Welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, a club that is dedicated to making the world 10% nicer. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and this week, our guest is author and super nice human, Nada Disney, whose novel, Planting Wolves, just blew my mind a few months back, and so I asked her to join us to talk about her book, her writing process, and, and really to just get a peek into what drives an author to dedicate so much time and energy to getting a story out, out into the universe. You know, most of the time, most of the time it's not money. And over the life of this podcast, I hope to have a number of different writers in here to look at this question from different angles because, you know, whether it's a story, a song, a sculpture, or just anything we birth into this world, including including kids, we never know exactly what we're going to get or how what we get is going to change us, the creator. Uh, making something, I think, is a wild process. And I wonder, is it, is it a zero-sum process that's subject to the laws of physics, you know, that, that govern uh, action and reaction, that dictate that, that creation is the the flip side of erasure, the energy in some can't be gained, can't be lost. When you write a book, are you unwriting another, so to speak? I mean, maybe not literally, but maybe on a personal level. Anyway, I don't know. I have questions. <laughs> if you're new to this podcast uh, and new to the Super Nice Club, you can learn more about us on Instagram or Facebook, not TikTok, uh-uh, at, at Super Nice Club. Or find us online at superniceclub.com where you can get details about our mission to make the world a little nicer. Also at the site, there's super nice merchandise, you know, shirts, hats, stickers, things to help you spread the word in your community around this simple idea of making the world a nicer place. In fact, in fact, check it out. If your nice merchandise doesn't help start nice conversations, you get your money back. No problem. You can also, this is the fun part, you can text your phone, the little text thing, um, text WOLF, WOLF, W-O-L-F, right now to 310-421-0393, That will get you in, into the Super Nice Club Insider Community, and you'll get invited to events, giveaways, local gatherings, yeah, post-COVID, and, and a lot more. Um, what else? Oh, if you like this podcast, will you pretty please subscribe and pass it along to friends? Post it up on your socials. That would be really helpful. Podcasting is competitive. Need your help. Thanks. Oh, I just have, I have all these O's, these extras, these extra info. Because I was just thinking about this. I'm going to let you in on something that, that you don't need to know and that won't enrich you. But it just came to mind while I was editing this podcast earlier today. I went down a total rabbit hole on the pronunciation, maybe that's pronunciation, is it pronounced? I think it's pronunciation, of the Los Angeles neighborhood Los Feliz, Los Feliz, Los Feliz, Los, Los Feliz, yeah, Los Feliz is the proper Spanish pronunciation. The Anglo way is Los Feliz, which is what most people, most locals in LA say. I say it both ways because... I'm just schizophrenic like that, and I can just never remember how to say it. 
But people get a bit worked up about which way is, you know, right. And it reminds me of the people who say, uh, people in, in San Francisco who say, don't call it Frisco. And, you know, I mean, for the record, Frisco was favored by the original dock workers, the Beats like Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg by Lenny Bruce. It's favored by the current skater and hip-hop kids in the Bay Area. So I say Frisco because that crowd is 10 times more interesting than the fleece vesters who hate it and who can never tell you why they hate it. They say, don't say Frisco. Anyway, regarding both arguments in L.A. and in Frisco, I think the only error that can be made is if you're snotty about one or the other and you correct someone about it. You know, sure, you might be right that a quote-unquote mispronunciation shows that someone is a tourist or a newcomer. But so what? The moment you leave your town, you are a tourist. So do unto others. And the second someone moves to a city, they're a local. Doesn't take being born there or three decades or whatever. You're a local the second your zip code says so. So let's just get over this tribalism nonsense. So Los Feliz or Los Feliz, Frisco, SF, San Francisco, just say it however you like. Don't judge and just be nice. All right. Who cares, right? Did you care about that? Probably not. Lastly, before we get into the talk, I'd like to thank you for listening, for supporting this podcast, for supporting the Super Nice Club, for being a member and getting behind the idea of just being nicer. Because damn it, we really, really, really need it. Look around. Okay, ready? 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 Turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with Nada Disney. I should probably get some like sound effects, some fancy when I start that whole like turn off everything else, right? Wouldn't that be cool if it's like should we try it? Let's try it. Okay. Okay, ready? Turn off everything else to not the rest of the world and drop in nice work with Nada Disney. Was that better? I don't know. It felt good. Felt right. Felt cute. Might keep. Nada Disney, hi. Welcome to Nice Work. Thanks for being on. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good. It's morning. I'm <clears throat> starting to feel awake. It's, uh, I'm a slow riser. It takes me usually about three hours after I wake up to uh, feel alive. I've always been jealous of people that pop up. Are you one of those people? Are you one of those people that when you wake up, you're like, I'm ready to go? Um, it depends. I'm not one or the other. I'm definitely, I'm definitely the other. Are you in LA? You're in LA, correct? What part of LA are you in? I am in Los Feliz, which is, I guess, the tail end of Hollywood. It's definitely not Hollywood, but it's, you know what? It's right by Griffith Park. Still haven't spent a lot of time in Griffith Park. I've got to do that. Tough to do during COVID though. It's huge. It's yeah. a really huge place. Yeah. So it's actually, I go, I go there all the time that you can be far from people pretty easily. So, is it still open? Yeah, oh. it is. And I think the trails are open right now. You just have to wear a mask. I've gotten to the point where I don't even like being on trails. Like It's too close to people. I'm that guy. But yeah, well, because well, you know how it is in L.A. right now. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it is. So let's get let's just get right into your career. Do you identify if somebody asks you what you do? Do you identify as a writer right away or do you have caveats? I don't identify as a writer. I think when I was much, much younger that that's what I, I, I still think of it as something 
I, that I write. I'm not mm -hmm. a writer. I'm, I just write and I don't always do that. So, and it's, yeah, I don't know how to explain it. Nobody ever asked me what I do. So it's not something that happens often. You know, when I wrote the book, I've done so many podcasts and interviews and the questions that I get are very directed at someone who's a writer. Like they have a system and, a, and that's their life and they've worked up to this thing. So I felt that the questions were sort of wasted on me. Mm -hmm. I, like, I don't know. There was a lot of I don't knows. So um, that's the longest answer to the question of are you a writer? I'm having a great time. Sorry, just a quick, just a quick aside. Watching the two cats behind you just go at it. Is, is, <laughs> does, does one of them brutalize the other one regularly? Is there a, a domination well, one, thing here? We're in my bedroom, and I've and I've closed the door, so I probably so there's one that's still a kitten. Okay. And and the other one is is the elder stateswoman, and so yeah. So the kitten is just badgering her all the time, right? Like, play with me? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yep, there it goes yeah. right now. <laughs> anyway, you did end up writing this book, which listeners can't see. But if you could mm -hmm. see it, it would have the words Planting Wolves and Nada Disney on the cover. And a friend of mine recommended this book, somebody out there or somebody in social media. So if you're listening to this podcast, I'm really sorry that I forgot who it is. Maybe remind me, but thank you for the recommendation because the book is, the book is wonderful and it's why we're talking right now. It's called Planting Wolves. It's available. It's out there. You can buy it in paperback. I think it's an ebook as well or a Kindle or something, right? Probably. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, I, I looked for a hardcover. There is a hardcover somewhere. I will ask the lady. Find it. I'm, I'm that kind of book snob. If I read a book that I really enjoy, then I go look for the hardcover if it's not already. I know that's, that's so kind of, I know what that sounds like. It's just, I love yeah, collecting I mean, books. So, and I feel like it's really collected once it's a hardcover. Right. Well, that makes sense. You well, put like a little clear plastic coat on it and super nerdy. Thank you. Well, thanks. That's, that's how I do things. I want to read though, to get people excited about this book, I want to read from the Los Angeles Review of Books. So I'm going to read that real quick and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Planning Wolves, a costumer and production assistant on a studio lot, a writer at the dentist, a sex addict at a meeting, an AA sponsor at a meditation center, a housewife in Glendale. These people have LA in common, but the linkages that tie them together aren't what make this debut novel so impressive though the wormholing and even supernatural connections between them do add a sense of narrative cohesion and structural fun. Instead, what makes Disney's Planting Wolves a rich and memorable reading experience is the depth and care, not to mention humor and compassion that the author brings to her characters' inner lives. The tiniest thoughts and actions of the middle-aged AA sponsor, some noble, some pathetic, are wrapped in delicate layers of vulnerability, while the production assistant's messianic, bleeding stigmata, that production assistant, man, she was, oof, tough. That was a tough character. She was mean, but, but fascinating. Uh, anyway, the, her messianic, bleeding stigmata aren't used as a magical plot device, but a window into his sweet, bumbling approach to life. I meant the costume assistant, not the production assistant. What fuels this intimacy with the characters is, of course, great writing. And I totally agree. These are, these are how many? Five, six, six characters? Six, six great characters that are uh, 
interlinked, but I didn't get it right away. I didn't get the linkages. It took me some time. So that was also kind of a joyful thing. Like, wait a minute, this is one of those, you know, what's happening here. It's, it's a book where it doesn't give away the structure right away at all. If there really is a structure, it feels mm -hmm. kind of like six separate books. I mean, they could, it could be read as six separate stories. They don't have to be linked to work. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think you can read them in any order as mm -hmm. well, and that they'd stay linked. Yes, yeah. I, sh I wish I'd made that part of a thing of like, you know, a novel, and the chapters can be read in any order, and it's still the same story outcome. That reminds me of one of my favorite books of all time, probably a top five, top three. It used to be a number one. Um, it's called Hopscotch by Julio yeah, Cortazar. Yeah, yeah. So you can read that in different orders and he has a guide for you, like read it this way or read yeah. it straight through. I've never gone back and read it in the sort of irregular fashion that he prescribes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, anyway, if you're being mentioned in the same breath as Hopscotch, you're doing okay. I think that kind of makes you maybe a writer. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so Planning Wolves came out last year. No, nope, it's 2021. 2019, right? Uh, I think it yes okay. 19 okay. anyway it came out recently do you know about when you how long was the process was that something that just flowed right out of you was it um no it i started it 10 years ago and then i keep oh. putting it away and then i you know find it in a drawer and i'd be in the mood and i add to it and uh so that's part of why i think it's it's sort of multi-layered in a way the characters are very they change or I don't know. I just, I think each time I added to it, I was in a different place. Not in, in life so much as I was doing something different. Yeah. And then it was kind of finished, but I think I was just never interested in doing anything with it. It was just fun to write when I felt like it. And um, they were all the, the skeletons were all there. And it was a, it was a good time to start something like that because I hadn't gotten married. It was still running around and having kind of fun, I think, and mm -hmm. working. And I hadn't even considered having a family or anything like that. So it was that, that like edge of, I don't care right. <laughs> part of life. I don't know. I think that's a good time to do anything creative. That's why not, not for everyone, but some of the things that I've liked, especially music have, mm -hmm have been done by people in their twenties, you know, early, and then they ripen. And I was actually watching the Bee Gees documentary and, uh, and I kept thinking how old were they when they sort of peaked you mm -hmm. know, with the Saturday night fever thing? Cause they look so much older because I, I see them as older right. and uh, they're probably like 25. I don't know. I have to look right. that up. Isn't that yeah. interesting when we look back on our childhood <laughs> heroes, usually, at least for me, it's usually, I think of actors and musicians because they're so visible, visual, mm -hmm. right? Writers, you don't really think of what they look like. Well, maybe like Mark Twain, you know, he's old, grizzled, but uh, you get older and you look at him like, oh my God, like the Bee Gees, these, they were, they were kids, they were 25 and, you know, but they're sort of forever always older than you Yeah, in your mind, right? They're forever older or you grow up and you realize that this person, this, this actor that you just thought was so cool is like only eight years older than you are. 
Like you're kind of basically the same age now, but at one point, you know, you were 15 and they were 23 and that was just such a gulf. Yeah. It's just, they were adults, right? Yeah. And they're my, it was my parents' generation. It was their soundtrack, you know, and that's how I remember it as I only heard because my parents loved it. And, uh, but they, they seem around 30 or so to me (laughs) because of that's how old my parents were, I think. And now I'm shocked to find out they aged just as my parents did. So at the end (laughs) of the documentary, I'm like, what, where's your golden mane or whatever it was, your your big chestnut mane. And uh, I was like, no, my parents aged too. Yeah, they're wondering the same thing. <laughs> Where did it all go? <laughs> I yeah. I do agree. I think that sometimes, maybe too oftentimes, adults, whatever you want to, however you want to define that, discount the passion uh, and the the um, the integrity of these youthful passions. You know, like one of my favorite bands of all time, which just sounds like noise. I'm sure if you just come into it now, is this Chicago band called Cap and Jazz. C-A-P uh, apostrophe N. And they were recording this and putting this stuff out when the members were like 15 and 16, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if you look up the lyrics and everything, there's just a, a raw, there's an angst, but there's a beauty to it. And all of these things that is just so uh, unfiltered and beautiful that it hit me when I was in my early 20s. And it still does now. And I kind of use that record as sort of a way to ask myself, does this still resonate with me? do I still have that, that youth in me, you know, and I'm, I'm afraid that one day I put it on. I'm like, ah, this is just noise. And that's, and that will be a signal to myself that I've lost something that I'm not able to really connect anymore with the, the, the beautiful sort of first pain of being human, you know, and how that gets expressed. I am sometimes saddened when I look around and see so many younger, just humans, not necessarily artists, Right. But having their experiences a little bit, just not taken quite as seriously. Like people are saying, oh, you know, that's just first love. That's just first whatever. You'll, you'll get older and you'll get used to that. Or you'll get older and you'll, you'll see that what you're feeling right now isn't really quote unquote real. And, and we just dismiss so much of the stuff that creates so much great art. I think there's a, I think there's a time I, I always call that time in my life where I was too dumb to be scared. <laughs> and uh, there was more future than past. So mm-hmm. the, the things you were saying people say of, oh, you'll get over that or it'll change. It, it, it would be difficult. I don't think it, I think it only changes because you become more afraid and mm-hmm. because the experiences of your past create at least for me, have created sort of alarm systems of like, remember, you did that and it stung. Don't try it again, you know, and and um, that's a shame. I wish there was a way to um, reset my brain and be dumb again, like every day. <laughs> that would be really helpful, don't you think? Uh yeah, I think that I, I've had a, a good ability to do that. <laughs> I, those who know me would say that, you know, that maybe I'm, oh, you make the same mistakes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you can also, I think, choose to make, choose to be open to making the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. that's a tough thing. I think the calcification and the calluses happen no matter what, except for those mm-hmm. rare people who are just forever wide open. 
to all of yeah. the experience, all of the joy, all of the pain. And I love that in people yeah. um, and, and never want to see those people shut themselves down, shut that part yeah. of themselves down, maybe selfishly because that those people inspire me. Yeah. Right. And it, it would be smart. It would, you know, non-selfishly. Yes. Maybe they should protect themselves more. And I think maybe you're right. The word should be open because obviously it would be terrible if someone, you know, would read dumb every day and continue to, you know, marry the same woman type of woman who's a charlatan or whatever. Right. I just mean more not listening to the warnings of the past and sort of expecting the same outcome. Right, right. Yeah. That reminds me of who is your character in, in Planting Wolves? You have a woman who, after her marriage, I think, uh, her husband goes away, and then all of a sudden she finds herself opening up this artistic community for the first time. Yeah, Mrs. Randall. Mrs. But it's also Randall. set in the 50s. Right. <laughs> it's a vague long time ago. Yeah. So I think um, some of it was she had a sort of cloistered life, and she was a housewife. And I think there was a lot happening, a lot of beatnik stuff happening yeah. during that era that, you know, was pretty subversive. So she, you know, people are, were off to a war and, you know, away and a lot of women were left behind. I think it would have been the Korean War. I don't know. It's very vague. Like it could, yeah, yeah. You know, there's, no, there's no accuracy in this. Um, so yeah, she, she got to see different things and her mind, her brain, her head exploded, I think. Yeah, but it didn't happen as a teenager. It happened as an adult, as whatever vague age she was. I think I read her as, I don't know, 30s, late 30s, maybe, early 40s. Well, she was pregnant, so it oh. would probably be, I don't know. I don't know, whenever. Well, I read it wrong then. Okay, I'll just have to reread it. But then she had her baby, so it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, 20s, no, 30s. I loved her, her opening up. You know, that part of the story was really interesting. And of course, you know, later on, mm. she, what opens often kind of closes again or becomes protective mm. of family and all yeah. that, you know, that I don't want to give the whole thing away, but that, that story, definitely one of my favorites. I mean, there's only six stories, so how could they not all be among my favorites? But that, that's a great one. And her, her, her counterpart, he was a, he was an actor, right? Yes. The, the other, he was, he didn't get his own chapter. He wove himself in a, in a couple of the people's, he was sort of the, the ne'er-do-well kind of clueless guy. He doesn't get his own chapter because he's just too wavy to explain. Yeah. <laughs> so he so. never, was he ever built out in your mind as a, as a potential larger character? No, no. no okay. I, he's always been a pastor. He's based on someone, um, I know and, and love and have known for, you know, since I was a, a teen and he is kind of a well-known actor now. Okay. And, and I told him, I said, listen, I, I've written this character based on you. And, you know, the character's just clueless and vain and confused. And I, and I said, these are all the things he is. It's, it's exaggerated. It's not exactly you, but it's, you know, and he was like, yay, great. Like he's, he just had no hesitation about um, being written that way. And that's why I love him so much. He's just, um, he's open. <laughs> so you're in LA and you've been in LA. You grew up here, right? I did. You grew up here. Yeah. I did read that. Okay. But you've lived in New York and 
uh, it just says England. Were you in the countryside? Yeah, when I was um, young, very, very okay. young. I went okay. to school there briefly. But um, and then I went to New York for a while. But okay. I'm mostly an L.A. But person. You're an L.A. person since you were born. So what are some of the and I'm asking these questions about L.A. Because <laughs> I'm new here. My family's been from L.A. and Palm Springs since the late 1800s, I think. But I've only just finally made the return, so to speak. From um, so where? From, I was up in Sonoma County for the okay. last 20 years. Yeah, wine country. Right. So you're from here, but what are some of the, what do you think, what are some of the misperceptions that people outside of L.A. have? Well, I mean, it was really great in the thing you read that the reviewer um, mentioned that it was an L.A. book because... I mean, obviously the misperceptions are the movie thing. It's a cliche even to LA people, you know? I know, you know, probably most, maybe half, most of my friends are in one way or another in film. And I don't have any friends and actors, I don't have any friends who couldn't be, you know, in that, they're just not the way people think, you know? And I worked in film and I certainly wasn't, but I, you know, I'm sure there's a little neighborhood somewhere in the hills or people coming off buses to be famous. And yeah, I mean, I just, LA is just LA. And there's so many LA's when people come here and I, I hate Los Angeles. And you say, well, which Los Angeles? There's so many little pockets and so many, nationalities who are you know american and neighborhoods it's someone told me it's like new york lying down it's a sprawl so if you really want to know la you have to be willing to get in your car and drive (laughs) yeah there's a there's a lot to it it is a big place and visiting here for many years many many times I still didn't really get a sense of the size of it because I would always visit friends in certain neighborhoods and then not really stray too much, you know, to spend a lot of time in Venice, spend a lot of time in in Silver Lake or just wherever the friends are. But now that I'm here, the size it's, I, I, this probably sounds silly, but when I, when I first moved here, let's see a year ago in five days. Yeah. Something Mm -hmm. like that. I thought, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Cause I like to walk and I like to take pictures I'm going to mark off the city on a map in, in one mile squares. And then three or four nights a week, <laughs> thinking I was going to have this time, is I'm just laughing at it. I'm going to go out and I'm going to walk this one mile sort of grid. I don't have to touch every street, but I'm going to, you know, zigzag and meander. I, I'm just, uh, I just drift when I walk through this one mile square. And then that's how I'm going to get to know L.A. Right. The grid system, like all through eventually, right? right? Uh, I've done none of that. I've done some walks, but I've done, I don't know if I'll ever do it. It was, it was a fanciful idea. And then when I got here, yeah. I'm like, that's just absurd. There's just, yeah. you know, how am I going to Well, you walk out? by my house. <laughs> that's crazy. That's a whole crazy thing that I don't even want to get into on. <laughs> oh, I think it's a yeah. great thing to get into. It's all right. A- okay, we'll get into it. So here's the thing that... Here's the thing that happened with Neda Disney. I was out, let's see, who was with me? Sandra and I, and I think my two boys and her boys. I don't remember. There's a group of us. And we're out walking. It was by Halloween. It was before it was Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, it was during Halloween. 
And whenever I walk around, so we're, we're doing these, we pick out different neighborhoods and check out LA just to go for a walk. Cause during COVID that's really all you can do. So we picked out, um, a stretch, I guess it was Los Feliz, right? That must've been, I don't remember the main, I don't remember the main street. I just remember there was a a cool little shop that sold, it looked like records and t-shirts and kind of funky stuff. So we're walking and we meander up through this neighborhood. And I always have, obviously, Super Nice Club stickers with me whenever I walk around, just because if I meet people, I hand them out. And we're walking by a driveway. And since it's Halloween time, there's a <laughs> little um, gnome or a witch, like a little, a little, what was it? A gnome or a witch? He's a scary butler holding a tray. Right. It's a scary butler. We there. I'm, I live right by the entrance to Griffith Park. Yeah, everything looked green. We're in an intersection. We're like, which way do we go? It was kind of like this big, wide, sweeping road. And there's a really cool house or building on the left that looked like 1910s Los Angeles. I'm like, that's a neat building. Let's walk up that way. And so I take stickers um, for my kids. I'm like, hey, there's a, because it's a tray for candy, right? Yeah. Isn't it a candy tray? Like you would put it out, like for the houses that don't, you don't want to deal with trick-or-treaters. You just put the candy out there. I thought that's what it was. So anyway. Yeah put a couple stickers on it. So I thought it'd be funny. My kids always think it's funny when I put stickers in, in, in different places. Didn't think anything of it. And then, well, I guess I've, since I've told the story this way, you already know, it was Nada's house. And I had already talked to Nada about being on this podcast at that point, but had no idea of all the houses in LA and all the neighborhoods in LA. She never said, oh, I live over in this neighborhood or anything like that. And we've never Um, met. It's been just, uh, no, just a a couple of, of Instagram messages. Yeah. So a few days later, a week later or something like that, she messages me like, hey, you were by my house uh, and sent a picture of this little um, butler with a super nice club sticker. And I thought, that's funny. Like, what are the odds that she walked by the same place and, and it, the sticker was still there? Like, she must have been there, like, right after I was there or within a day because somebody probably would have taken the sticker. And she's like, no, that's my house. <laughs> and it just totally blew my mind. But worse than that, because I, I think coincidences are great. Like, you know, you, you, there's a coincidence, small world. No, actually, it, it made me feel weird and kind of gross and creepy. Like, it made me feel like, well, clearly I'm a stalker and clearly I knew where you lived and I left that there like, hey, it's me <laughs> because there's really it's hard to explain that any other way. And yet what actually happened was I had no idea that that was Nada's house and I just happened to leave a sticker there. And it just yeah, even now talking about it now, it's still just like, what the? What's weirder is yeah. how unalarmed yeah. I am because First of all, it doesn't, you can't tell it's got hedges and gates. So, you know, it's hard to know. It could pass as maybe it's an apartment complex. You just can't see. And yeah. uh, the I don't know. I, at first I was like, oh, you know, maybe I told him where I lived. And then I really, it, it didn't. I didn't think, oh, he's crazy. <laughs> I was, I just didn't. It made so. me feel a little crazy. I'm like, how is that? It just. My whole universe just kind of swirled for a minute of just thinking of the odds. And I think I went home later that day and I looked up the number of households in Los Angeles because I'm just like curious, like what literally are the odds? And I'm like, I should be playing the lottery ticket or something like that because- Well, you live on the West side too. Yeah, I live in in Brentwood. 
up in one of those little pocket hills that are completely divorced yeah, from you're reality. Nowhere near my house. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that area, you know, that's an area we like that area a lot. Those Faleys, like, could pick all over again moving down here. That probably would be. It's always one of the areas that I've liked. Anyway, so that's the story. The story is the uh, <laughs> I left a sticker at one place on that walk too. And usually I leave a few, but not at houses. Like I don't stick them on people's cars or anything. They're usually just handed out or in stores or whatever. But uh, there was a little butler that's like, I'll put a sticker there. And it was your place. And that's the story. Are you guys still with us? Was that an interesting story? I don't know if it was an interesting story, but it's interesting to me because it was one of the bigger coincidences. Yeah. Maybe, maybe numerically the biggest coincidence, I don't know, that I've had. It uh, it happened, and now there's a podcast, and we just told the story. <laughs> What'd you do with the sticker? Um, I think I think my daughter has it. She's nine, and okay. uh, she stickers are her realm. Like they're yeah. any kind of sticker, she'll take it. So it's somewhere stuck okay. on a place. I'll be upset. It's stuck on. <laughs> good. Well, then twenty seven cents well spent. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. <laughs> I guess that's a way, how could we wrap that? That's our way of saying that LA is still kind of a small town. <laughs> yeah, it you is. Know, it definitely can be, especially once you are used to your neighborhood. Like my neighborhood before COVID was really as crazy as it is here in LA. I would see the same people. I started to get into a bit of a routine and notice that other people had a similar routine. So I'd see the same people walking by the same places right around the same time. And you get to start to nod your head to each other and you get to know a few people. It's uh, it feels smaller once that happens yeah. when you're in a big city like this. I've also it's made me wonder a lot about since being here the absurdity of city tribalism, especially as mm-hmm. it's like epitomized by like team sports. You know, your team, my team, your team sucks. My your city sucks. My team rules. Just that whole like city versus city thing. It's just I think a nicer mm-hmm. world is going to have to work to free ourselves from such small ways of thinking. Or maybe, I mean, I'll ask you, is city pride something that, that has value? Um, only, only jokingly, at least for me, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. but I'm very, I'm, I love LA. Yeah. And um, there are places I, I, I mean, I can't say one, you know, I have some friends from Boston who, mm-hmm. who haven't been here that long. They've been here like three or four years and their stories about Boston are magical. <laughs> yeah, and I love Boston. I've I've been there a few times, and it's great, you know. And they're just getting to know LA, and I love it when people are new to LA. I just want to curate every inch of the place to them because you know they a lot of people think, well, this is it. Like, go here, go here, and um. So I mean, it depends if I know people from a place and I hear about where they um, come from firsthand. It's just my own assumptions about places are unreliable. I'm an unreliable narrator about other places, but you know, climate has a big effect on me. Like I, I have absolutely no interest in Alaska. Okay. <laughs> I'm a warm weather person. So how um, have you been here long enough to really notice the seasons? I'm struggling with that a little bit, like not having a passage of time through mm-hmm. seasons. I'm but, really used to it. it. It has changed since I was a kid, though, yeah. um, at least in my memory. I don't remember it ever being this hot in the in the summer. But that could have been because I was always in a swimming pool or I was, you know, when I was a kid. 
I think I, I'm more jarred by seasons. Like in New York, I was like, well, what, you know, what's happening? This feeling of, yeah, feeling of betrayal of like, <laughs> I, I was just, you know, Spring and I were just forming a relationship. And, and it's uh, over. And it's over. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, real quick, before we leave LA behind, well, we're never going to leave LA behind. You were talking about curating experiences. I'm going to throw one at you. And you've probably already done it, but my favorite place in LA so far, it's been my favorite place for years, the Museum of Jurassic Technology. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you been? Yeah, it's weird, right? <laughs> yeah, completely. I love it. It's the weirdest place. It's so great. I've probably yeah. shouted it out three times so far on this podcast, and I'm going to continue to until I uh, have someone from the museum on, on the show, which, you know, I'll just have to get around to getting done. Um, let's talk about horror films. Mm. You mentioned that you, you mentioned horror films, and I very rarely watch them. And don't judge, but two days ago, I did a double feature of Nicolas Cage horror <laughs> films. Uh, one was Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space, I think something like that, or Color of Space, and another one called Mandy. Both are mm. like 10 out of 10 strange. Totally weird. And you know, Nicolas Cage is always over the top weird anyway, right? What's your thing with horror films? You a fan have... of the genre? No. I, I mean, I oh. have ones that I... First of all, the, the reason we talked about it is I'm going to produce a horror film oh. and with some of my friends and we've all worked in film for a long time but we had our particular departments and you get into this crew and it's called the crew because it is like a ship and you have your you know your your thing like that you're really good at and all these different artists come together and make a film so to to sort of jump out of your um your wheelhouse um, is difficult to do, especially if, you know, people are doing it to make a living. But anyway, right. COVID is this, um, this amazing pocket, even though it's terrible, it's also time stood still. So we realized, oh, we can do this thing we've always said we'll do with, a, you know, our little production company and make a film. What kind? Well, horror, because you can make it on very little money and it, it sells people you know, yeah. love horror movies. I always think it's young men, but apparently it's not. It's it's a lot of different people. Um, so that's what I've been doing. And it's it's a lot slower than I realized to be a producer. I, I worked in a different department. So yeah, horror is, I've, the only horror films I've seen and liked really before this was Rosemary's Baby Mm -hmm. um, and The Shining, The Shining, you know. And yeah, The Shining, yeah, it's incredible. I, oh, and The Exorcist, which is touch and go for me, but because I'm, it scares me so much. I scare very easily. Um, and I like suspense films and so, but I had to get an education in horror. And, uh, and it, I don't know, I felt like by the end of the whole education, seeing all the movies, I felt it, it hadn't been necessary for what I had in mind. It was, the education uh, wasn't necessary? No, not for me. I mean, th there was a lot of technical stuff, but um, yeah, I just, I, I realized what I consider terrifying um, is probably broader. It's not for the, I guess there's a horror community, I, mm -hmm. which is again, new to me. And they're real experts on um, genres and tropes and all this kind of 
Um, but what I what I am interested in is sort of the same things that The Shining and Rosemary's Baby did cover, and that's that was like the horror of the family. <laughs> yeah, The Shining was so genius that whole that whole. Uh, the commentary on the, the sort of nuclear family, right? The, the traps yeah. being trapped, the, the, the allegory. Well, he's such a genius. Yeah, he is. You know, just unbelievably. So I have not watched the, what's the new one? Dr. Sleep. Wasn't that sort of a sequel? No, I, I haven't either. Yeah. I, uh, I have, you know, and I haven't seen the new Blade Runner, which is another favorite film of mine. I have yeah. trouble like moving on. Like, I New information, my brain rejects it so i have to try and see dr sleep is it mr sleep or doctor oh sleep? is it mr sleep i don't know but i, I don't know for similar reasons i don't think i'm going to touch it mm-hmm. and a lot of people are probably going to boo right now but i'm going to say mm-hmm. just stay with the original blade runner yeah yeah there's yeah, no I mean, I there's nothing additive film. about the second one it's yeah. it's as a film it's it's cool i guess you know it's visually beautiful but I don't think it really is additive in terms of the story. Right. And for me and my memories, it just kind of gets a little murky. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the purity of knowing Blade Runner, I would rather have that back. Right. Instead of having Blade Runner be a little bit muddled with Blade Runner 2049. I'm just but I wish I was that. more open. And that's what we were just talking about. about yeah. yeah. Um, you know, kind of having, you know, that we becoming closed as we get older. Yeah, you don't need to be open to everything, though. If your friends tell you, like my friends came to me and said, no, this, you know, she's not for you. I'd be like, okay, I'll trust you. So with movies and stuff, if if people you trust are like, yeah, you don't have to watch that one. It's okay to not watch it. I want to go back to Rosemary's Baby and The Shining really quickly because the the thing they have in common you know we're talking about the horror of the family is that in both it was about the ambitions of the father you know Mm -hmm. in in the shining they all went to this thing and sacrificed you know whatever they hadn't wanted to do because he wanted to write and in uh you know rosemary's baby the big joke is the whole thing happened because he wanted he's an actor and he wanted to be well known he sold uh, you know, he allowed his child, his wife, to give birth to the the son of yeah. the devil. The trade. So it's, I mean, that's so chilling. It's an exaggeration of all the tension within a family, anyway. So, I just think, it, to me, it's it's far more interesting and terrifying than you know, a monster or this house is incredibly haunted. I mean, those things terrify me for sure, but they don't reach my heart and the real fears. (laughs) So are you working on a a psychological thriller then? Is that what this is? You know, the script we had was more of the jump out of the closet variety. Mm -hmm. And I think once we really broke it down and looked at it, I, I realized it's, I wanted, we want to make something that we'd go see and what I, I would go see would be more. Do you um, have a working title yet? No, Okay. no, because the, the new script is still being worked on. Yeah. But you know, it's, I, my, the book I've been working on and COVID made me just want to stop writing. It's already isolating enough, but, um, and then writing, it was about the similar 
it was about isolation. It was about like the horror within a family. So I have thought about taking that title and finding a way to make a script just to use the title. What's the title? <laughs> the Happy. And, you know, Los Feliz means the happy. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, which is strange. It's not happy. It's, uh, it's the, the happy. happy. It's the happy. Yeah. Huh. yeah. So. So that's, that's, the, uh, that's a book that you're working on now, but you've shelved for the moment. Yes. It's the structure is all there. The characters. I just stopped putting it together. I'm, I thought maybe the general vibe of discomfort can be taken into a horror film instead. Well, that's great. Uh, so that's still in the sort of a little bit nascent. You're still working on the script. You're not yeah. shooting and COVID shooting is a mess anyway. So everybody's just kind of waiting. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm not necessarily, necessarily the script person. Okay. Um, the other one I didn't write and this one, I knew one, I, I think I shouldn't write, but um, I should just give a outline or a, a story. Yeah, I'm not a script writer. But you could be. No, no, no? I think it's too Is there different. no interest in there for you in the structure of it? It's so structured, right? Yeah, and also I think someone who's really good at it should do it. Like I can't mm -hmm. just jump into someone else's profession. And I, as, yeah, I know what I can do and I, I wouldn't want to try and do it's a waste of everybody's time for me to suddenly start learning to, and uh, just because I'm a writer doesn't mean I should write a movie or write this one. I think that might actually get in the way of me being a producer, you know? Right. It's too much. Uh, it becomes very personal. And, uh, and I, I don't feel that I could be effective if it was personal. It's okay. So business. So I usually try to get to this, this sort of illustrative leap of faith moment where, where the guests sort of recount, yeah, this is when I knew that I was going to be an ex or when I knew that I had to leave behind what I was and try something new. It sounds to me like, from what you said earlier, that there may not have really been a leap of faith moment when it comes to getting Planting Wolves made. That is just something that you just sort of explored. And then over the years, it just, through accretion and through your revisiting it, it just kind of had its own momentum and happened, right? Right. So instead of a leap of faith moment, after it happened, after it became a thing, you got a box, I'm assuming, of books, right? Yeah. Shipped to your house, you opened the box and, and you picked up a book. Did you have a moment of, oh my God, like, I'm a writer. This is a right. thing now. Yeah, I, I did and I didn't. I was, it felt like, oh, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> 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 you know, that's what um, the Job and uh, Arrested Development always says. I don't know if you watch that show. I, I did. It's been a while. Yeah. I don't know. What was interesting, though, is I picked it up. I had been involved in the process of getting the, uh, getting it, what is it on tape? So, you know, who was going to read it and oh, okay. who it was dedicated to and the cover. So I hadn't really been that involved in the stories for some time. So I, I sort of just flipped through it and I, I don't remember writing a lot of it. 
You know, it was just sort of this automatic writing and because it was over time. Yeah. And I have, uh, you know, as I went through it, I mean, there were huge chunks, I don't recall, but I liked it. That was kind of exciting. Isn't that fun? You know what? This is some good, you know, this is all right. And that's, I think, one of the things I thought, you know, I may not have another book in me. You know, this might have been this wonderful one-time thing that I like, that I had to do. And it it wrote itself and I just showed up. And um, maybe I can't do something like this on purpose. You know, so that was that was interesting of how separate I feel from it. So what um, are the odds that we get that we get a second book out of you? What would you say if you had to name the odds today? It's 50 50. Um, I would have to be. Yeah. 50 50. I would. Uh, I. Yeah, it would. It would also have to be somewhat of an accident. <laughs> yeah, right. this would be a great time to write, you know, during quarantine. But I've been being doing other things. Yeah. yeah. A lot of artists have used COVID isolation as sort of fertile grounds for new work. I wish I could yeah. say I'm among them. I had planned. I thought, okay, COVID's going to last a year. That's time for me to knock out one or two scripts. No problem. Right. And yeah. I had a couple that are being asked for that I need to get done. And it has been the opposite. It has been the opposite. I didn't know you wrote scripts. Yeah. Oh, I, this I don't, is good to know. In it's such a this is discussed this last week, but since moving to LA, it's been really I've never had any problem saying I'm a writer, never, mm-hmm. never been an issue, like you know, for years because I've been making my money writing for a long time, different types of things. Then moving to LA, I'm just super all of a sudden weirdly shy about it because everybody yeah. down here is a writer, right? Everybody, yeah. and so I'm just like, um, you know, I uh. I'm working as a creative director. I have this thing called Super Nice Club. I write a little bit. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, I I find myself myself equivocating for the first time in years because I have high confidence in myself as a writer. I'm a good writer. Um, I'm not a planting wolves writer. This is beautiful. I love it. I wish, did did I write this? Like you were just saying. Like, yeah. this is good. I can't believe I wrote this. I've also had moments where I'm like, Ugh, this, this is Drek. Who wrote this? That's me. But yeah, those thrilling moments where you pick up your old writing that you have completely forgotten about yeah. and it's good. And then for me, it's usually like, am I still that good? Have I lost it? Was that peak me? You yeah. know, is that my younger, more, more connected with the, the, the sort of cosmos, that, yeah. that thread, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's been tough since since LA. Well, I thought that I'd be getting more done. Mm-hmm. Nope, not yet. Two things about writing, though, like the whole one of the stereotypes of LA is we say everyone's a writer. Yeah. Um, well, there's so much writing to do. That writing is not finite. It's not a. There's no lack of writing to come down. There, there right. needs to be, you know, lots of people writing. Down here in LA, the conversation around writing is different and I don't love having it mm-hmm. like with strangers Yeah. than it is, yes. you know, when you're up in Northern California, people are like, oh, you're a writer? Cool. That's interesting. And you can just kind of yeah. talk about it in a light way. It doesn't have to go immediately to like career. Right. right? Well, that's and- one of the reasons I don't say I'm a writer yeah. because I know what the conversation is going to be. And right. so I think of myself as a transcriber. Like there, uh-huh. It's already been written. I'm just, uh-huh. I'm just, it's being dictated to me. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if this would work for you, but I wonder if, 
it would be easier if, if less of a burden, if the writer is an artist or a screen, you know, screenplay um, being written, if, if it wasn't looked at as your creation, but mm-hmm. rather you'd be the delivery system of a somebody, story. Somebody who's shepherding it through. Yeah. Or just, it's got to happen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's but, found you. It's been listened. Right. I'm already done. I need you to birth me. Right. So, yeah, it, I okay. think the fact that it's so personal, it, it makes it uh, just excruciating. That's why I don't want to write, um, have anything to do with writing a script for this film. I, you know, it, w- it would be destroyed. <laughs> yeah. So, so next no time I'm asked, to... I'll tell, I'll tell people that I'm a medium. Yeah, How's that? Tell I'm, me. I'm a medium and I'm yeah. a... I'm a story medium. <laughs> so do she. It's, it's like having a baby. I was thinking, yeah. you know, I was looking at my daughter. I'm like, who is she? And I realized, well, you know, she's just who she is. She was complete. She was small. And then she got bigger. She has nothing to do with me. I'm her guide. And I, you know, I adore her, but I was a portal <laughs> for, her, for her to arrive into the world, you know, and yeah. she chose me. And uh, it's, it's really interesting. And it makes me less, makes me not think of her as belonging to me. But, you know, the way one thinks about kids, it's just, she's her own person. And I, all I have to do is help move things out of her way so she can go in this direction that belongs to her. And, you know, why would writing be different? Yeah. As a parent, it's a nice realization. I don't know if it's the right one, but I think I share the realization that it's our kids are who they are. And the best thing we can do is just not get in the way of that. You know, yeah. not screw them up, basically allow them to be who they're going to be, give them, you know, the opportunities to learn what they're going to learn. Um, yeah. But like, I feel that way about my boys, just like I, my biggest concern as a parent is making sure I don't screw up what they can be. Yeah. Right. Just then en- just enable what they can be and not, you know, so I, there's all sorts of guilt that comes with that. You know, anytime I snap or anytime I am less than a stellar dad or get frustrated, like, ah, you know, I'm like, ah. Did I just did I just plant some memory that's gonna inhibit yeah. him from from being his best self or whatever? Like, oh God, yeah. you know, hopefully not, hopefully yeah. not. But I certainly don't feel like I, uh, in any way, have ownership of my kids. Yeah, know? you know. And then again, I'm, but I'm also not this totally hands off. Oh play, no, no, go play in the I, highway. Um, no, I'm I'm definitely hands on. I just. Um... I don't think of her as, as being a reflection of me, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I see her as, I, I mean, I see her as if for the first time every morning where I'm like, wow, oh, that's <laughs> how great. interesting, how interesting, what an interesting person. And I can't believe I'm so in love with the most interesting person in the world. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's magical. And what a great, what a great thing to say that I can't believe that I'm so in love with the most interesting person in the world about your own kid. So Justice, my son, he's 18. He is going to be the next guest because the next <gasps> episode is number 50. So number oh, 50 wow. kind of a big thing, right? I did 50 of these things. I can't believe I muddled through 50 podcasts. So 50th will be with Justice. And I think it'll be an interesting, you know, sort of son of super nice getting his perspective on being a senior in high school and a teen during COVID and all these things. Right. But now I'm going to try to remember to dive into whether or not I'll have to ask him like, hey, did you feel like I was hands off? Did you feel like I've let you sort of become 
or was yeah. uh, you know, heavy handed in this. So I don't know what he'll say. I'll just, I'll, I'm not going to ask him in advance. I'll wait for the podcast. So yeah, if you're interested in that mind. revealing personal moment, <laughs> tune in next week. Oh my gosh. Tune in next week for Justice Brilliant on, on nice work. All right. Here's a curveball question. I'm starting to do these curveball questions. You ready for it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, let's see, how do I frame it? All right. So like the last couple of years, I noticed that when I take my shirt off, like I turn it, I turn it inside out in the process. You know what I mean? So like you take it from the bottom and you pull it up instead of like taking it from the top. Is that, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, and you end up yeah. with an inside out shirt. So like you do your laundry and you're done with your laundry and you dry your clothes. And then you've got the inside out shirts that you then have to like turn the other way around. And I end up yeah. like cursing myself. Like I've always just hated that. Like all of a sudden I'm that guy, I'm that guy with the inside out shirts. And I never thought I would be that person. You know, it's really, it's bothersome to me. I don't right. know. It just, it bothers me. So that's, that's my super awkward example to set up my question. Have you ever, <laughs> that's so dumb, but have you ever noticed yourself change in some way that just isn't consistent with, with who you thought you'd be or who you wanted to be? Is there anything you look back on and go, ah, I'm that woman. I'd never, ugh. how did that happen? Um, you know, now that you've mentioned shirts it's hard for me to get past that my brain just stopped at the shirt. Uh, uh. Um, and that's because i you know my film experience is uh i'm i was i was and i guess union wise i still am in the costume department so my relationship to clothes and this is what i've done most of my adult life is very different than other people's like my closet is um organized like a like a costume trailer <laughs> everything's you know and so yeah i i can't imagine ever becoming the person who takes their shirt off and lets it go inside out i, I couldn't do it it would be like I. but you understand why it bothers me right yeah yeah, yeah. okay if, see if I, if I ever did that i i would have to call you know the costumers union and be like i i have to turn in my <laughs> I, I, I'm a, I've become a civilian and uh, I can't, can't do this anymore. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. I'll, I'll think about the shirt thing now. I All can't right. think of other, other stuff that's, that's uh, deeper than that. I'm sure. Right. I think what I need to do is I need to come up with examples that are closer in spirit <laughs> to the question itself. This is a learning moment for me. Appreciate it. <laughs> I don't think you should change it. I think just sticking to the shirt thing is great. Being more specific. Keep people, you know, I, I always think my limitations, that the more specific the instructions are or mm-hmm. the, the better I am because I work, um, I get more creative. Like if you'd said, to, you know, I've given a, if you hadn't given the shirt example, right. I could have gone off into this whole windbag thing of like, I found that I'm, you know. That's what, we, that's what I'm after though. Instead, I got my windbag moment. But seriously, <laughs> socks that are inside out in the laundry, I'm always cursing. Like, who does that? Where are the socks yeah. inside out? Yeah. Shirts. Now I do that. And it uh, gives me this, maybe this, this terrible intimation of, of aging. Like that's my moment when I knew that I had become old is when I started taking my shirts off inside out. It's really depressing. It's a weekly reminder of laundry of just how far, <laughs> how far I've fallen. It's hilarious that you see that uh, as a sign of you getting old 
Because usually it's, you know, the youngsters who take their shirts off. I know. That's why I'm cursing because like, oh, my, my, I have three young boys while Justice is an adult now. You're the Benjamin Button of shirts, sort of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's my new brand. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that. All right. Every week, the guest gets to do a super nice challenge where they issue something to the members of the super nice club, to the listeners of this podcast, just something that they can do to make their world a little nicer, make the world a little nicer, a little habit, a little something, a little task. Do you have any challenge, something that you do, maybe part of your routine? Mm -hmm. You know, I, this has been recommended to me by, by group, a group of people I spend time with. And it's, it's more about if someone you don't like, you really hate them and they take up a lot of space in your mind, you know, because you hate them. Right. Um, um, say a prayer for them, you know, as often as you feel this hate each time stop and say, you know, I pray that this person gets everything they want. Mm. And I don't do it on often enough, but the times I have, it's, it's really removed the obsession with, mm. um, you know, nursing this resentment. So I don't know, that might be a, That's a, a good nice, one. Yeah, yeah. Just, just maybe to disarm this terrible vibe towards someone. And uh, once you pray for them and you, you know, to whatever, to the universe, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't actually, I don't know about the sky God, but I don't know. It, it, it reminds me of one time I, I dislike someone so much. And sometimes in traffic, I'll go so bonkers. Like, <laughs> you are a bad person. Right. I didn't use your blinker. That's just the most thoughtless thing. You're not a team player. Um, what I do is I picture them crying, you know, about something that really broke their heart. And then I'm just like, no, no. And that triggers your cut, empathy for cut them. in front of me. Right. Yeah, no. Interesting. No. Uh, that's a good challenge. So here's the challenge, put briefly. Picture people crying. Yeah. Yep. Anyone? Anyone around you? No, just the people that you're yeah. struggling with. I'm kidding. Yeah, so, or just yeah. traffic. Maybe yeah. just bring it down to an LA experience. Right. Yeah. Um, as soon as you want to swear in your car about how dumb someone is or... Yeah how wrong they are, just picture them crying. That's a good challenge. It. And I do want to get out there because it's important, everybody. It really is important to, to hammer this home, especially if you're one of those people. Use your, use your flipping turn signals, seriously. Like <laughs> if I'm ever going to curse in traffic and be not Mr. Super Nice, like I'm in traffic, I'm wearing a Super Nice Club hat and then I'm cursing, I'm like, ah, you know, eh, not being super. It's because of the lack of, of signals. It's yeah. common courtesy. It's also dangerous as hell, you know, especially on, on highways. So use your signals. That's my super nice challenge to you. I usually don't get one in these episodes, but my super nice challenge is to use your turn signals. Just it's so habit. easy. Yeah. There's, there's a little lever. They're on the left. It's on the left, usually. And it's it's a lever. Yeah. It's, it's fun. You pull, yeah. pull it up, push it yeah. down. Yeah. yeah. What's, what's the Turn problem? signals. Lastly, Neda, do you have a question for me? This is the yes, point you get to ask see. Oh, yes, you have something? I don't have it. I just know I will if I oh, just okay. give it a moment. What kind of questions do you like? We'll start with a question about a question. Oh, did I like? I don't know. Or you it's... don't like. Which okay, one? well, none. I, I, it's, it's a moment where I'm always surprised. And then I just 
answer and, and I don't ever edit the answers. I just, yeah. Okay. Just... I have my question. Okay. Um, and it's one I, I ask once in a while of other people. Okay. Um, which is your, who is your favorite one of the three stooges? Is it Mo, Larry, or Curly? That's a great question that makes me have to dive way back into my TV watching days as a kid, because I did watch Three Stooges. I liked Curly. Yeah. Uh, I don't okay. know. I'm just, I'm just saying it. I don't remember deeply, but I do remember that I felt like Mo was really mean. You know, was that, was that true? Was Mo the meanest one, you think? Yes. And yeah. oh my God. So right. the re reason I ask this is I wish I remember who said this or I w where I heard it. Um, and it was that there's three kind of kinds of people. There's yeah. Mo, who's the leader. There's Larry, who wants to be Mo. And then there's Curly, who's sort of a wild card. Yeah. And, uh, so if you like Curly, you, you may be a Curly. Uh, maybe a curly. He was yeah. certainly handsome, you know, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm a curly. I, I like Moe's. I'm terrified uh, of Larry's. Larry's are scary. They're manipulative. Uh, yeah, they want to yeah. be Moe. They're, yeah, they're the yeah. guys with, uh, with ambition. Ambition can be scary and, uh, and an agenda. Yeah, ambitions and agendas. Those are things that uh, they work really well in the corporate world. They really do. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know that's your thing. About that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've defined that, that I'm a curly, I'm going to have to, after this go online and, and look deeper because this could be, this could be like my new horoscope. I mean, I didn't really have an old horoscope because it's just not my, yeah. my jam. What is your sign? Uh, my sign is Gemini. Oh, yeah. I'm a Capricorn yeah. and most of the people like, that in my life that I spend the most fun time with are Gemini's, yeah. which makes no sense because Gemini's are apparently bastards. No, I think they're oh. just nutty and Capricorns are buttoned down, but oh. you know, I don't believe in any of it. And that's, yeah. I just know these two. I yeah. don't know anything right. else. I think maybe I can just, I can combat that question. The next people that ask me, I'll be like, well, this is what I am, but are you a Larry Curly or a Mo? Because that's, yeah, it's a bigger indicator to me. It is. You know, I think, so. <laughs> yeah, or just say, don't tell them, are you? Just ask them which one you like. I'll just um, get a little, a little printed placard. Like, you know, I carry in my pocket all the time with the three faces. And yeah, I'll just, just say, check off point, which point one. one. Because if you ask know. which one there are, people yeah. will choose who they want to be. But if you say, right. which one do you like? You yeah. Know who they relate to. And yeah. I think. You know, if anyone says Larry, just walk away. <laughs> <laughs> You're just out of there. You're just, You're just know, gone. <laughs> Goodbye and good luck. Oh, my God. Well, hey, Nada, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for sharing your um, absolute ambivalence to writing, <laughs> to being a writer, to following up on your spectacular planting wolves. Maybe, maybe we'll get something from you again. Maybe we won't. That's yeah, cool. I'll talk about anything else if you want. <laughs> Look, I just no. found a book of dictionary of idioms. I found it on the street. Excellent. Um, I'll, I'll talk about this all day. <laughs> Pick up an idiom. What, what do you got? What, what's your first? Yeah, this would be like a. Um, I'm going to just like open a, it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like you're opening a. Uh, okay. What did I find? 
off base. Off base. <laughs> I didn't know that was an idiom. I thought it was huh. like, it was, uh, it was more, I think I was thinking of axioms. Uh, an idiom, off base, not agreeing with a fact, wrong. <laughs> wow. that's 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 timely yeah. with the uh the american political oh wait one last thing it says the idea that touching a toad causes warts is off base hmm. and with that yeah and with that <laughs> we'll wrap this episode of, oh, of nice yeah. work no really appreciate talking with you and i do look forward to whatever you write in the future. You, I'm going to guess you probably will. I do look forward to the film. Psychological horrors. I do like that genre when they're done right. In the 70s, they did a lot of them. The 70s was a great era for smart For everything. Films. And for, for movies. Layers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let me know. Let me know when you get the uh, when you get the film out so that Super Nice Club can get behind it, and promote it, and, and push it and get eyeballs on it and because it'll make a big difference. Super Nice Club promotes films they usually do about 30 percent more at box office yeah it's oh really yeah yeah it's we're we're obscenely influential when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to box office receipts it's a weird thing but we are it would be amazing if it was the opposite <laughs> like everything you promote is 30 percent down that'd be that would be success. super lucrative though because then you just go to the studio and say hey how much are you willing to pay for me to never discuss your yeah. project <laughs> Um, thanks Nada really appreciate it thanks for having me this was fun so there you have it a super nice conversation with super nice Nada Disney what are your takeaways did you take away some some pretty big deep stuff about why she got into writing you know why she got that book out there yeah maybe not maybe not but see that's the best thing is there doesn't always have to be a deep, powerful reason. Like, I just had to write this story because I wanted to tell about this, that, or the other, you know, this big therapeutic thing. Because a lot of times, the therapy of writing, we can't really, we can't really name it. We're not supposed to name it. If we could name it, maybe we wouldn't write. It comes out in the book. And it's for the, for the author over the years to look back and go, oh, <laughs> Yeah, that's what that was. <laughs> that's who she was. That's who that character was. And, you know, it's not really for us, but when we're reading it, it serves a purpose for us. You know, when, when I read Planting Wolves, I was like, wow, that's, I kind of know this person, or I kind of know that person, or this is an entirely new type of person to me. I've, I've never met anybody that had stigmata, you know, walking around wearing gloves that were dripping with blood because of their stigmata. I don't know if you have, but I haven't, right? So that was a new experience for me. Better than VR. Because when you're reading novels, you're there. It is better than a movie. It's absolutely immersive. It's the beautiful thing about the written word and why I consider writing the, the penultimate art form for me. Not to disparage any other writing, any other writing, no, any other art form. They're all fantastic. But for me, the most immersive is writing. And I used to use writing as an escape or reading as an escape. I've just read voraciously, probably from the age, you know, six to 16, multiple books per week, just consistently uh, escaping, you know, using it as escapism. So anyway, a little information you probably don't care about. Am I, am I losing you? Am I lost you? That's all right. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Next week, oh man, 
Next week is episode number 50, five zero, one year of the Nice Work Podcast. And to celebrate it, I'm bringing in my oldest son, Justice Masaru North Brilliant. Yeah, my kiddo, nepotism. It seems to work in politics, seems to work all over the place. So we're going to roll it here at the Super Nice Club. Now, Justice has been, he's going to be talking about his year now of, you know, a, a school year of COVID and what that looks like for seniors and juniors, people who are applying to colleges in this cloud of COVID. You know, there have been a lot of things shared, especially when COVID started about schools and students and their thoughts. But now that it's been going on a while, their voices seem to be largely not heard so much. And there are mental health challenges that they're facing, and Justice will get into that. There are, of course, all sorts of concerns around um, what they're going to do, where they're going to go from here. We have year upon year stacked up uh, in college admissions, baseball scholarships in Justice's case that are going out the window because there's just too many people trying to play, collapsed into you know, too few seasons now. And, and most importantly, I think trust. You know, that trust between parents and teens. And have you built it? Are you giving it? Do the teens deserve it? Do they expect it? What are they seeing and feeling and hearing from parents uh, individually and community-wide? It was an interesting talk to have with Justice. And I hope that, you know, if you're a parent or if you're not a parent, you get something out of it. Because trust is something that, eh, boy, it just seems to be in shorter and shorter supply, not just between parents and children, but between neighbors, between citizens, certainly between countries. Damn, you know. Uh, anyway, I think it's a cool conversation. Am I biased? You bet I'm biased. That's my son. I love him a lot. Until then, until next week, everybody, stay nice. <laughs>
So what? Big deal.